Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome everyone and welcome to this week's guest, Andrea Gullick. Andrea, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Ian. How are you? Going well, thank you. Now, I'm particularly drawn to the work that you do, uh, helping people to be comfortable in their own skin. I know it's something that I can very much relate to and I think back to a being a teenager and and how awkward and uncomfortable I was. Is that something you can identify even back that far, like your own journey about not being comfortable in your own skin or has it been more something that's come to you as an adult? I think it's definitely connected to further back, like our own journey usually for the most part we go into work maybe to kind of heal the aspects of ourselves from time gone by. So definitely even as a child really probably and then through the teenage years obviously quite sensitive when you're sort of developing that sense of identity. So, yeah, absolutely. It's not, I think, the the adulthood and the experiences in adulthood only really heightened the realisation of how comfortable I was or wasn't within myself. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's actually a really great description of the work that I do is the the unresolved and the un, unknown is is all of those pieces of the puzzle going way back when. We tend to associate with the stuff that happens to us now, which is normal, but it's that uh, all of those related things. One of my coach talks about the, um, the grief upon the grief upon the grief upon the grief. It like sort of all adds up. And I was going to ask you, <laughs> uh about what was kind of that moment because i know you've had a few really big moments in your adult life but what was the of all the different things that have unfolded what was the big one that that had you suddenly realizing there was all this stuff there that that needed to be brought to your attention in terms of from younger or from or just whenever what was the biggest moment yeah what was the biggest moment the biggest moment, even though there were really big moments in terms of realising how comfortable I am in my own skin, was probably the first relationship that ended after I became widowed. That was a really defining moment for me of feeling like I wasn't enough and realising why did I feel like that. So because you were able to walk away or because, like, what what was it that had you having that realisation? The realisation, so it wasn't on my terms. Right. So I wasn't the one that actually walked away. 
And it was that realization of that I was too broken, the, the belief system that I was too broken and I was too much or not enough or too emotionally inept to be loved. And it was, that was a really devastating moment. And yet, like, and that might sound really strange because I was widowed. I was widowed at 27. You would think that that would be the most devastating and it was the most devastating moment of my life. But in terms of an aha moment of what are you doing? Why have you lived your life like this, believing that you, there is something not complete with you, that there's something wrong with you unless you have someone that is willing to share their life with you. And it was that, the comfortable in your own skin, that was the moment of why aren't I? Mm. Now, uh, really important, I think, to point out for people listening is that we all have these big moments from our life and there's no comparison when it comes to grief and there's no one's bigger than the other or one's bigger than or smaller or whatever. It's like it's all heartbreaking and it's all really intense when we talk about moving forward from grief, there's usually that one moment that has us at looking at life completely differently, right? And and I love how that's beautifully beautifully aligned with the work that you do now. And I think that's really important because when that's the wake up call, then it pushes you down a path that perhaps at times it feels like you're uh, out of control, but it's like it just feels right the the phrase going home sort of comes to mind it's so interesting because the first i was planning to go back to victoria to do my first speaking engagement that i had organized so that i was going to have a speaking engagement back in victoria but obviously lockdowns and it was called coming home owning your magnificence and it was it was that in terms of realizing that i didn't know who I was like in terms of when you say pushes you down say paths or rabbit holes or whatnot these defining moments what it actually did was draw me closer to me because I needed to know me I wanted to know me I wanted a relationship with me that felt safe because I'd never had that yeah wow so when so when you talk about um, that relationship ending not on your terms, did it was it mainly just about that relationship ending and, and your own relationship with yourself, or did that bring up a whole lot of other stuff around, um, like you said, being widowed and, and and other elements from your past at that point, or what, how did that all unfold? I, I think it was just the this spotlight on being able to reflect back over my journey over my life as a teenager and how I related myself with relationships all I ever wanted to do was get married and have children like that was absolutely the only thing that I ever aspired to do and and it's in a really important role that we play but it is a role that we play it is not who we are necessarily start and stop and so I began to recognize that it was just a void and I absolutely adored my first husband I loved him he was my everything but there was this element of recognizing that 
there was a void that he was filling. There was a confidence void. There was a loneliness void. There was a those voids that he filled that then when he passed away, they, they were quite, it became quite apparent, but I then filled the void again because I moved into another relationship. And so it began, I began to recognise that I was just, I was plugging these holes and that's why I felt fulfilled within my marriage. But if you, if the marriage is then over, whether it's someone's divorced or I was obviously widowed, then what? And so it was really just such a spotlight because I felt so shattered and so unlovable and so afraid to, to be on my own. Mm. Now, we've done the, the short version and, and you've had time to look back at it and, and like a lot of people who are in this space, you can identify all these things now. But take me back to those moments when that was all first unfolding and and how that impacted you. Like what was going on for you mentally, emotionally, um, probably physically too? So the, the the day that I knew that it was over for sure, I, I, I went home and I curled up in a ball on my bed. I had two little boys to take care of as well, but I curled up on a ball and just felt the feels of what it was to really be lonely because I had never really dealt with the loss of my husband. I did a lot of things. I renovated a house. I went to uni. Then down the track I started a relationship. And so all of those things happened relatively quickly within the first 12 months. And so there was not a great deal of space to, one, accept and acknowledge and deal with my grief but also accept and acknowledge me as, as me. And so I laid in bed and was quite distraught, feeling like if this person couldn't love me because this person did know me and knew my husband quite well, that if they weren't able to really wrap their head around my situation, then no one was going to be able to. And it was quite the pity party, let me tell you. It was quite the pity party. Yeah, yeah. And but as I laid there feeling like I was going to be on my own forever and, and feeling that rawness of that, it was like a voice from outside of me, but I now know that it was my soul and I heard your happiness is your responsibility. And that was the most defining moment of realising that for my whole life up until that point I had looked to the external and all the pieces of the puzzle the way I wanted them to be, that would make me happy. And it was this 360 spin where I began to realise that actually that's an inside job. Mm. And the um, I muted for the benefit of everyone else, but the catch I got in my throat and coughing at this end is like, that's a, a really important part of your story, but also important for other people to hear is like, <sighs> there are different things that happen over the journey and 
when it all sort of starts coming together and it, like all sort of compounds and they all sort of come to that one point, that's when that's when it can be the most challenging, right? When you when you've sort of got it's almost like all those ropes that you hung on to get pulled away and then you're left grasping it at air. So so what did you grasp onto initially? What did you or did you reach out to someone? Did someone show up for you? Like what was the thing that got you back to some form of balance? I think at that time no, it was further down the track that I reached out for that. But at that time, it was just the thing that I really grabbed onto was the awareness that it was up to me, mm. that I was the one that was in control of this. It wasn't in control of me. And that I want to be happy and that it was okay to choose things that made me happy so I did I reconnected with a friend in Melbourne I went down to Melbourne I caught up with her I had a lovely time and I just began to make conscious decisions about what my future would look like which meant making big decisions about where I was living because my I was on my in-laws farm at the time my husband was a farmer so we lived on the farm and began to really start to listen within for what did and didn't feel right anymore in my journey. And that, I mean, that created its own set of internal quagmire in itself. So I was a nervous people pleaser. So the pressure of upsetting and disappointing people was, was pretty intense. But I literally grasped on to listening and following what what I felt like I was being guided to do. So good. Uh, I can certainly relate to that people-pleasing and the exhaustion that goes with having to do that, being everyone to everything to everyone. Um, I just want to come back to something you said before because I felt like it was uh, probably a big thing at the time but probably I know would be big for other people as well. So you said you, you – you, it felt like sort of life moved forward quickly after your husband passed away. Now, there's no right or wrong there. It just is what it is. But was there part of you that felt guilty or um, whether they, there was you were doing something not quite right or was it more than just you were just in complete avoidance by getting yourself busy with renovating your house and all those different things? Well, I think I think the two are combined. I think that it was literally getting busy, the distraction. I mean, it's first-class case of distracting yourself from that feeling. It was much easier for me to look forward than to sit where I was in that moment of what my life had become because it was just horrific and... So the distraction, but of course the choices I made in terms of distracting myself, some of those brought me great satisfaction. Like I'm very proud that I went to university and I'm very proud that I got my degree and renovating the house was fun, I guess. But then there's going to be other aspects or there were other aspects where it didn't, it literally didn't. I knew, I didn't know at the time I was doing it to survive, but there was so much internal 
messiness for me in terms of being in another relationship and it was that that was really eating at my soul tell me a little bit more about that internal messiness well i guess it's just like the word you used before this guilt and what does this mean that questioning myself did did I actually love my husband? If I loved my husband, why am I with somebody else? And yeah, wow. why would I be with somebody else that is closely aligned to him? And the world can say, the world told me, there were people that told me that that's really common. It's really common that people end up with someone closely because you're grieving at the same time and things like that. It brings you closer together. But that didn't yeah. appease the discomfort within myself. Mm. And and the hidden discomfort within myself because we become amazing chameleons and mask wearers and, and we can make it look like, well, we're just doing what we're doing and getting on with it. But there probably was very few times where it felt within me like that was what I should be doing. I'm not sure why this came to mind, but it did. So uh, you did say that uh, you were happy for the conversation as to go where it went. The thing I was drawn to was like, you, know, you talked about the guilt of a new relationship and, and that internal messiness. I was drawn to like how that must have been from a physical perspective. Like, so you've lost your husband and now you've got a new relationship. Was that challenging at all? Like, was it weird? Like, I, I can't comprehend that that whole situation. So you suddenly, um, yeah, would that, would that have amplified the guilt of then now you're kissing another man when it when it's, yeah, I don't, I don't Help me make sense of what I'm trying to spit out here, Andrea. Yeah, I guess. So if I can be a hundred percent honest with you, I didn't. I never stopped to really. I never really stopped to think about that. It was just. It was such a survival mechanism, I think, and it was such a relief from the the pain and from the the fear. Like in terms of now being the sole parent to, so my my new my baby was eight months old and my eldest was three when their dad passed away. The 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 weight of responsibility and the the grief and the trauma was so intense that it was such a relief I just didn't think about it. It just mm. and or I haven't, I guess. I haven't really thought about that. It just I'm a Scorpio, so I'm a pretty passionate type of person anyway. So Yeah. Is there any anything there that you then look back at now yourself now i know you look through very much like everything's perfect but like if you're honest with yourself is there part of you that looks at who you were then and, and actually gets frustrated or or wonders why you reacted like you reacted yeah there's been plenty of times that i wish that i had been stronger and that i could have stood in my own and stood on my own and dealt with my grief and my trauma in that moment because it only really, I only really press pause on it. And from an external perspective, it could look like I got my shit together pretty well, but I'd only ever press pause on it. And then further down the track when life had settled and I, ha I was remarried then and 
had our daughter, all of the stuff that I didn't deal with, it, it just came flooding back. And so I've ended up with mental health twice. Like I haven't had mental health, diagnosed mental health, like whatever your thoughts are on mental health. But after my daughter was born, I did suffer post-traumatic stress disorder and postnatal anxiety. And I believe that is because I didn't integrate the experience within my body. I just escaped it. Mm. Um, I have no thoughts on like people will call things whatever they call them. It's like mm. it's whatever's going to help you get better, like for those people listening, like what whatever works was whatever works. What I know is that all of these different things that we have in our later years are linked to, to things that are unresolved, to yeah. grief, trauma. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just it all comes flooding back to the surface and it shows up in different ways. Now, we've, we've created different labels to make sense of it for people and also helps with different diagnoses and all that sort of stuff. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, but I'm, I'm very much a you've got to find what works for you. So I'm not a fan of like people saying you can't do this, you can't do that. It's, yeah, I've been down that path before. It doesn't doesn't it's not helpful for anyone. So if you look at it like from that perspective, all those things from the past, I'd really love to hear how then you know that some of those patterns were formed. So if you always wanted to be married. Was that because, and have children, is that because that's what was modelled to you, wasn't modelled to you from some other uh, experiences that, that instilled that or you're not even sure why, where there was this strong desire for that? So at the time I had no clue. At the time I thought I was just born like that. I just was maternal and yeah. that's, what, that's what I wanted. The older I've got, the more the patterns, the more comfortable in my own skin I've become in terms of being radically honest with myself and my, my life and my childhood. I think it comes down to that that would prove that I, that I was enough. Like to have someone fall in love with me and want to marry me and have their children, then that would mean that I was important and that it, it was that although it was invisible, it was just searching for someone to fill the void of not being able to recognise that I was enough just as I was, whatever that is. And the safety, the safety of an, I, I love hard, Ian. Like I love to love. I just think love is amazing and, and connection and deeply connect connected relationships I think they're the most amazing thing that we can experience but I never had that with myself mm. now usually that sense of safety comes from something specific uh, for me it's like things like um, when my younger brothers would have come home from hospital a feeling a disconnect, right? So my safety was what I knew of me being the youngest and then me being the second youngest and all that gets thrown out the window as more more children come. Um, there are other different incidents like when, when I was having someone else look after me, like where I was just fearful, not necessarily for any – uh, any, any deeper than the fact that I would rather have been with my mum than, than getting looked after. 
but do you draw any links there to that um, needing to have that connection? Like was, was there a safety element you can identify with? Yeah, well, it was never safe in my house, that's for sure, in terms of I knew that I was loved but there were definitely elements of my family structure that it wasn't safe to be who I was because I was kind of in the way, I think. And and that's my interpretation. I understand that the interpretation and the experience that other people in my family have, could they'd probably say the same thing about me. But I absolutely, it was, it was not, it was not, necessarily unconditional love within my household and I think that I just wanted the safety to know that it was okay to be who I was and obviously all of this was subconscious like I didn't know it at the time but I reflect on it now and I'm like it was absolutely not safe to be me Hmm. Um, now I did ask before if there's anywhere you didn't want to go and you were happy to go wherever it went so like when when you say that like unsafe was it because you got shut down was it uh like for me a lot of it was comes back to um the emotional reactions from my parents which both fueled me because that's how i like had taught myself to get connection but also probably didn't have that effect was was it some like other elements that played out that had you saying even now that it wasn't safe for me personally, it, it comes down to sibling rivalry and that I don't think it was safe for either of us. It's only myself or my sister. I don't think it, I, I would almost guarantee that she would probably say it wasn't safe to be her either. So that unconsciousness within our family environment and probably not really modelled in a way that it's okay to be and it's okay to be able to communicate how you feel. I always felt like I struggled with that, that there was no real depth to conversate. There was there was yelling and there was fighting and there was arguing, but there was no one necessarily sat down and said, tell me how you feel. What What is going on for you right now? It The, the emotional side of things was, was sort of shut down in a way. Hmm. I can relate to that and for me I just remember being left with the feeling of like oh, they just don't get me they don't understand me and and in a lot of ways that continued well into my adult years just like man like yeah why why do they not understand where I'm coming from I don't know if that resonates with you probably more now when I reflect on it I didn't understand me either like I definitely know that I felt like I was a bit of the odd one out because I was, I did feel like I would have preferred to have talked about things. I hated the fighting and the arguing and things like that. But even now into adulthood, knowing that there's no real awareness of why I did the things that I did. So the things that I did, because we're guilty of doing things that probably led to upsetting people, Mm. there's no awareness of, I felt just as insecure as what you did, but it just showed out in a different way. Yeah, that, and that's so important to emphasise for anyone who's got siblings and and like you said, if you asked your sister, she'd come at it from a different perspective. Well, I know that's definitely the case for my siblings 
well, of course, we're all going to have our own unique experience through our own unique lens, through our own new, unique way of being ourselves, plus all of the uh, things we add on with the trauma and the grief. It's important to remember or to, to really highlight that when we get into these adult years and then we wonder why there's like a, a disconnect or we can't see things from their perspective or um, or whatever struggles we have in our relationships with with siblings or even close friends or uh, parents later in later life it's just knowing that it's no one's fault like these are just moments from when we our, our young brain is doing its absolute best to make sense of whatever it's going through and comes back to that place of safety right we 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 usually default to a behavior that we feel is going to be safe i talked before about my my emotional reaction was safe in the sense that it got attention. If you look at that own your own journey, as you said, you were not in a space where you felt safe to be yourself. What sort of behaviour pattern played out for you that allowed you to bring some feeling of safety into you into your experience? I, I think it was the, well, I don't think, it was the attention thing that, and definitely as long as I was better than someone, then I was okay. Mm. And so you can imagine how that plays out between siblings. As long as I was better than her, I was okay. And yeah. that, it, it, that, I just, I, 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 I wanted to be better. And that was because I recognise now because I didn't feel enough. And so to feel enough was to ensure that I was at least better than that and and absolutely did things that would have highlighted that and am very aware that that was how I felt safe and that that, that, that wouldn't have been comfortable to live with. No, and and you, you you speak from someone who's done a fair bit of this work on yourself. Like when I when I first started out on this and and start making the changes at first, you're like, oh, well, why couldn't they see this? Well, like all externalizing, right? Blame and all that sort of stuff. But the more you do, the more you realize that, yeah, man, like I must have been really, really difficult to live with. I must have been really difficult, like not just in younger years, but teenage years, early adult years. I'm, I'm sure my wife would agree with most of this, by the way, <laughs> but all these different things that play out. And it's like the moment you take full responsibility for all those things, it changes everything, right? Yeah, and as you were speaking then, it's this the only real way to become comfortable in your own skin is to acknowledge the light, the dark and the in-between. I, I was, I, that, that is part of my personality. I have had moments even as an adult where I, I want to look better or I want to do better or whatnot. There's those moments of inadequacy or insecurity that play out. But there's that realisation of, of why and, and then how to manage that in a way that doesn't, doesn't impact those around me, I guess. But as a child and as a teenager, when you are just developing your identity and and safety is paramount, yeah. then it, 
it, it can be pretty intense time. But absolutely, I'm also not going to sit here as a forty, nearly forty-four year old woman, and say that there's not absolutely amazing aspects of who I am too that would have been quite favourable as a sibling. It's, yeah. it's like Barb Gibson says, it's both end. It, it yeah. just is both end. And that, yeah. to me, is the path of becoming comfortable in our own skin. Mm. And that duality um, that you talked about then, it's like that these things are present at, at all the all the time. Like it can be two different things. It can be like we talk about grief and, and we'll get into more around when you when you lost your husband. It's like it can be deeply heartbreaking and intense and awful, but at the same time there can be humor and joy and and all of those different emotions like yeah. that's okay and and there can be times where you feel like you're heading in the right direction and things are going well but at the same time there can be parts of your life that are just falling apart like it's yeah. it's just how life goes right and i think on that ian too the thing that i really want to express is that along the path and within my journey the realization that those aspects or those things that we do for safety or whatever it was we were just talking about, they are things that we do. They are not who we are. Yeah. And being able to recognise there's a difference, like at the absolute essence of us as human beings is a divine spark. There is that pureness and that divinity. And as we go through our life, yes, did I do things that caused possible harm or did cause distress? Or absolutely, they are things that I did, but they're not who I am. Yeah. And I just think it's a really important thing for people to remember because sometimes we can do this work and you feel the guilt or you feel that, and, and it's important that we, we know how to hold those emotions, but that they don't, that that's not our identity. Yeah, absolutely. We all make mistakes. They're all things that we do. They're all behaviours that we have. But yeah, it's not who you are, and it's not your fault either. Like these, these are like I said before, these are patterns that have formed at quite a young age. And and how could we possibly be have any any blame around something like that? It's like it's yeah, it's not healthy and it's not beneficial. So, like I mentioned at the start, you've had some big moments and. And so 2003, your, your two-day-year-old son gets a pretty intense diagnosis. But what, did you kind of know something was wrong from the moment he was born? Not necessarily. I guess being my first child, I didn't really know what to expect. So the birth had been relatively intense because, like you said, he was – he was born with a tumour the size of a grapefruit in his abdomen. So trying to get into the fetal position was going to be somewhat challenging and so he couldn't. So the the very that next morning, so like four or five hours after he was born, our, our paediatrician came in to explain to us that he would need to have scans and be in a special care unit and lots of not planned conversation occurred in less than um, comforting less than comforting ways when people talk about bedside manner this doctor literally completely missed the boat on any sort of bedside manner so yeah 
to find out that he first was going to have a scan on his brain because they thought he might have had brain damage and then to bypass that because that was fine into actually he's got a massive tumour in his stomach and we think it's malignant was not necessarily what I put on my wish list for first-time mum. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can't speak from being a mother but from best being a parent, like that's just such a, a roller coaster of experience anyway, but you throw that into the mix. How did you get through that time? Primarily, <clears throat> excuse me, primarily I got through that time because of the man that I married and because I was quite the emotional one. I was the one that would always worry about everything. What if this happens? What if that happens? And and he had always had the famous line, you can't worry about what you can't change. And so I lent in on him and we we got through it together. We had amazing support in terms of family. We had amazing support in terms of our community with fundraising and things like that. So on that side of things, we knew that we were safe within that. But emotionally, it was primarily because because of my husband and his his staunch, stand strong, non-emotive protector allowed me to fall apart when I needed to. Mm, awesome. Well, awesome that he was able to be there um, like that for you. I'm, I'm just going to ask this because it came up. You mentioned guilt earlier. Is there is there part of you that when your son's born and there's something going on that, that feels like, well, did I do something to contribute to this? Like is that the sort of thought that goes through your head? When we sat with the paediatrician because our baby had gone to Melbourne from our local hospital the night before, so we were 24 hours before we went, and, of course, we thought he had a hernia or something. Like we literally had no clue what they were talking about. We were not told until we arrived. Hmm. And I didn't even know a baby could be born with cancer, Ian. I had no hmm. idea whatsoever that that was even possible. So it was certainly not on that maybe it's this. So when we were sat down and everything was explained to us what they potentially thought it could be, I'd been a smoker in my teenage years and young adulthood and whatnot. So, of course, the first question I asked was, is this my fault? Like, is this yeah. because that I because I was a smoker? I bypassed this on to him, and they assured me it was not my fault. But there's always that. How does a baby? How does a baby a tumor the size of a grapefruit that you have grown within you? Like, what is it? What environment did I produce for that baby to then? Have, have that growing within him and I can't say that I dwelled on it. I really didn't dwell on it too much. Yeah. Like when they said, no, it wasn't your fault, it was just we have to do what we have to do. Let's get on with it. Yeah. I have heard uh, that when a baby's um, going through the, the pregnancy there is a healing that takes place for the mother and that's part of the, like from a, I don't know if it's evolution or 
if I can't remember where I read this or more, more a spiritual perspective, but it's basically it's a it's a healing exercise for the mother in itself. So I don't know how that sits with you, but like to me, what what a great gift from your child. I know now that when they're born, they absolutely take you on a healing journey because they nothing shows up uh, your uh, self-confessed failings and um, inadequacies quite like having children no matter what they are age they are um, but yeah I don't know how you how you feel about that like what a blessing for your child to come in and, and have that positive impact for you I can't say that I have ever sat with that and thought about that but I know that the element of healing or the element of meaning of the journey that I guess I took away was more so the way that I looked at how my husband dealt with that and and our son in terms of he's nearly 19 and fit and healthy and an absolute legend. So awesome. to watch him go through what he went through and babies and children are absolutely amazing. Like they are so resilient and they definitely have so much to teach us about how to just get the job done. Yeah. And that it was that combination of watching him be so, he was my easiest baby in terms of the most content baby. He was so easy. And, but also watching my husband. And I have said on, on numerous interviews before that I really do believe that my husband was teaching me how to survive his, his death through how he managed our son's illness. Because that you can't worry about what you can't change was what I literally had to keep coming back to every time I got really shaky that I have to because I had the potential Ian I know I had the potential for who I was and how I was raised that that could have been the absolute ending of me that that could have just been oh my goodness like look at everything that's happened to me and I would have just played straight into that victim role and literally let that suffocate any life out of me. And it did the complete opposite as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, wow, what a blessing. So it's interesting that you say that, like, you know, you can't do anything about what you can't control. You said before we jumped on that um, you'd always got a sense that, that your husband was going to die because of a number of different things. Have you reconciled that in a way that you think, well, could I have done something? If I knew it was coming, could I have done something? Um, I don't I, – it's not like I was given a time or date or a picture of this is what will happen. It was a sense that he was connected to his uncle yep. in a more significant way than just uncle and nephew. And his uncle had passed away in a car accident. So this feeling that I had was that, I feel like that could happen to him. And I would get so upset. I only ever told him because I'm not going to run around telling people that they'll lock me up thinking I'm crazy. <laughs> but I would tell him, I, I just have this feeling something's going to happen and I would cry and be distressed and he'd be like, it's fine. I'm here. We're cool. Don't worry. Emotional woman, you know. And, but when the accident occurred and the police told me where it had happened, it was the same intersection as his uncle in the Oof. same circumstances. And so 
for me, I was like, I wasn't just worrying about him. This wasn't just needing to get my emotions under control. This was a sixth sense of this that I didn't recognise was that until all the pieces of the puzzle lined up. And it was, yeah, like I was just, I guess I was blown away in so many ways that how can this be? But I don't imagine it makes it any easier to deal with, but it must have just added an extra whole other dimension of confusion and, and grief by having a, like it's almost like a prophecy coming to be. I think it was, it was probably more so down the track. It actually showed me the power that we have beyond just our human experience that while that was an absolute tragic way of realising that we have we have intel that is beyond our knowledge and beyond our, our intellect. We have the ability to connect with energy that that does guide us in ways. And, okay, it didn't guide me in a way that I could protect him from what happened, but it proved to me that we know things beyond the realm of this physical realm and that's that's what is really super important to me for for people that's how we get comfortably in our own skin is to be able to recognize these innate this innate wisdom that we actually all carry within us yeah and it opens up into that I guess my journey has has evolved into recognizing that we are all on our own path and there wouldn't have been anything that I could do to have changed that situation. That is what was destined to play out. My son's illness was destined to play out. If I'm meant to fall asleep tonight and not wake up, I'm destined for that. Yeah, and, and I'm a, a fan of that as well. I'm pretty sure you know Karen Chaston. She was on here uh, a fair while back talking about her son who passed away when he was 19 and, and she looked at it like this. She looked at it like this. Um, apologies, I'm just <laughs> scratching my leg. <laughs> um, she sat down with her son before they came into this world and talked about this is how it was going to go down and, and this is why. And, and if you believe in that idea of that, you know, the soul has an evolution as well, that fits beautifully but if you, even if you don't have that sort of belief it's there are certain things at play that we can't understand whether you however you look at the spiritual aspect of life whether you're an atheist or any anything else is there are certain things that unfold that we just feels like it's meant to be and yeah. by looking at life like that there's just so much peace and and it releases so much of the worry right when we can just realize that well i could spend all this time worrying about all the different possibilities that could happen like you described that you were prior to going through all of this or you can just put your trust in something whether it's the universe whether it's karma uh, life that you'll get what you need even if it's not what you think you want yeah and i think that i guess for me in terms of that recognizing that I felt like I knew 
when I didn't actually know is that as the years have have progressed it it works in the reverse too in terms of being able to create the things be, being able to there's been numerous times when I've sat and connected and become very conscious of what it is I'm wanting to call in and those things have arrived they that you know you can call it manifestation you can call it what you want I just know that when we are connected to that source energy and it is in a line of who we are then we can literally move mountains quite easily <laughs> yeah i love that from from those who like the uh, science of it we we have billions of bits per second that come into our awareness every every second of the day but we can only process a certain amount so the more that we can tune into one what it is that we do want and two that higher self that you mentioned where we get guidance whether you call it soul whether you call it um yeah your intuition or just the, the very best version of you if you can be aware of both of those things and give your brain a clearer focus on what to focus on you can absolutely invite in anything by having that clear focus. The, the brain will do the rest. And I want to know from you, because you mentor people, how do you help people to, one, identify that which is already within them and, and then how to actually have the courage to act on it when, when the guidance comes through? So I guess it's in being able to help them recognise that they hear things, that they sense things, that they feel things, that there is more than just how do I stop doing this or how do I do that. It's this commune between us and our higher self and you can, if you take a moment to be to be quiet and just ask, you, you'll, you'll hear the answer, you'll feel it, you'll sense it. The thing that I, I guess that I've realised is that everybody can do it. It's just that we don't take the time to create the space to listen. And so a lot of what people are tuned into, people know they're tuned into because they know they hear, I'm shit, it's not going to work, it, it's <laughs> not, not. So we're hearing stuff, right? We, yeah. we can identify with that. But do we ever pause to say, is that true? And if that is not true, what is true? And start to listen for, well, what is true about who I am? What is true about what is happening in this situation? What my measure stick between peace and pain is the thought, the, the, the action, the situation, is it taking you closer to peace or pain? Mm. Because peace is truth. Our truth feels peaceful. I love that. You can identify with the the times that you treat yourself awfully, so you already know you've got that awareness that you that you're getting these voices through. So it's then just taking the time to pause and listen to what. Okay, well, what is actually true? Oh, that's so good. Because we do like I I don't think there'd be a person on the planet that would say I've never thought oh this won't work or I've never felt like it's useless or I've never felt like oh that would be amazing like we 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 sense these things they're there but we have been we live in such busy times 
to, in my opinion, keep it to hold us off from this because that innate wisdom, Ian, like that's the making of the universe right there. Yeah. And the more of us that access that is just that's that's where we create beautiful, harmonious relationships and communities and yeah, uh, it's a whole other rabbit hole, but uh, the very systems we live in are designed to keep us out of that space. And mm-hmm. because it's harder to control people and you can look at things however you want to, but ultimately that's the government's job to keep us in control, uh, rightly or wrongly. But if you can think for yourself and uh, not get caught in groupthink and and get swept along with the masses, well, then it's harder to control you, right? So that's what a gift that you're giving the people that you work with to to not only, I'm sure, the confidence just to be themselves, but that next layer of depth around that to be able to then connect them to something even bigger beyond themselves, which is, is there's so much freedom in that, right? Yeah, because it takes... It's almost like it takes the pressure off. I was having this conversation today with a group that I was working with. We do, I do a little bit of Gene Keys work and we were having this conversation. And when we are trying to work out what is it that I'm meant to do, how am I meant to do this, what, in whatever situation it is, there's so much pressure on ourselves. But when we recognise that it's, it's us and our higher self, then it's almost like this shared journey. And when things don't play out or when we don't know, more so like when you're in the void and it's like, what am I meant to do? I don't know what I'm meant to do. And I've had this with my business for the last couple of years. Oh, my gosh, what am I meant to do? How am I meant to do it? They said to do this. They said to do that. It doesn't feel right, does it? When you can, instead of feeling like, you don't know or things haven't worked out because it hasn't gone how you thought, that's an amazing opportunity to get excited. Like let's yeah. say, for example, I'll put it in in an example because I don't know if I'm making sense, but let's say you, you rent, right? There's a rental crisis and you've been you've been asked to leave because they, for whatever reason, and it's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Where are we going to live? Oh, my goodness. Instead of that, it's like, oh, my goodness, what adventure is the universe got for us now? Yeah, love it. Um, and and it might not be the most immediate thing, same as if if a relationship or a friendship or if there's some kind of difficult situation, literally being able to open up to, oh, my goodness, what's next? Like I wonder what is next instead of like, oh, my goodness, like, oh, this is so crap, I don't know what I'm going to do, that's no unfair and that's not, and this is that and we can't do this and we can't do that and... What if? Yeah. Because that, that drama circle keeps us in place of being the victim, right? And and we'll never be able to move forward in a way that is going to be joyful or fulfilling to us because we'll just continue to play out the same cycles. Well, and that's the thing, isn't it? If you are looking at all of the things, and I've had this, I have actually just had this experience with a client. When you When something happens and then you look at, that there is no solution and I don't I don't know what to do. This is like the worst thing. It's so stressful. You are kinking the flow of opportunity towards you. And if you yes. literally come from a place of there are no mistakes or nothing is wrong, everything just is, then how does anything go wrong? 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yes. And I'm not necessarily saying, Ian, that I nail that every day. I am a human who has that works on this all the time myself, but that is the fundamental truth that I know. If you are open to all possibilities and that everything is just is, then nothing can really truly go wrong. Yeah, and I, and I love that because every guest that comes on, myself, like because we're doing this work and we've been on this journey doesn't mean that now we don't deal with stuff. If anything, the challenges get bigger. It's just that you get so much better at dealing with them, right? And, and maybe people, people might listen and go, well, how can Andrea's challenges get bigger after what she's been through? But it's like at each layer there's something else there that we just didn't even know was there. Now, I'm not saying that's uh, a traumatic event that might be scary. It's more just a behavior pattern that we didn't even know was having such a detrimental impact on our life now. And I think that's the important bit is like when when we're doing this work, right, and we're helping people, it's not about going through and trawling through the, the endless crap. It's like, okay, what's going on now and how do we make it better, right? Hmm. And how do we just be okay with where, where we are? Like – there's yeah. nowhere that we are arriving to. We are living every moment of every day. And if you come into a moment that doesn't feel peaceful or you want it to feel more peaceful or more flowy or, okay, then what? what's the thought or the action or what, what needs to take place? Not so much around what, what you need to do but who do you need to be? And that's the thing is that that's what I'm always with is, who am I and how do I be me and where am I not being me and then what do I need to do to come back to being just me? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then once we know who we are and what we need to do, it's then the key part is to taking the action, right? Mm. Now, that seems like a good segue into something that uh, that came up before. So, Andrew, you've mentioned a lot about the guidance that comes through and I know we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, I've just had these physical symptoms going on. Like, is that like, have I got that right? And you were just like, what the fly? How did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I trust that, that voice that comes through too. So I had the same thing when you were talking about being busy, I got that left, left leg, but specifically knee. So what, uh, talk to me about busyness, being a mum, Having how many children? Three children. Three. Plus a business. Like how, how challenging is that uh, juggling all of that? And what could you – tips could you give people listening, particularly those in business or who are mums, that uh, it's going to help them navigate that? That's a good question because I feel like in particular the last three years since I came into business, probably the last 12 months, I've – I've really, really actually sat back. So I, I homeschool my daughter now as well. So I have that yeah, on cool. top of business. So yeah. if I'm 100% honest, Ian, it, my, the greatest advice that I have is for people to feel the action that they need to take and whether it, are they shooting? So for me, when I first came in, I've never been a business woman before. I was a teacher before now. And I thought it was going to be relatively easy. It's not always easy. No. Right? <laughs> but 
I would listen to everybody out there. I paid thousands of dollars to do this for your website, do this, you've got to do that. They they would write my words for me. And it was just all of this stuff that was so not aligned for me. The way in which business, they were wanting business to be done, did not align with me. Now, in terms of going back to what we were talking about before, there's been twice that I have gone and sat at the beach and the first time I spoke to my husband, I literally brought him in and spoke to him sort of thing about I need you to help open doors for me. As a speaker, I need you to help open doors. And I that afternoon connected with someone in Dubai who... <laughs> who was a talent scout and who had presented Coldplay with an award back in 2008. My bride waltz was yellow and the song on my husband's funeral DVD was The Scientist. Awesome. I now have a couple of clients that I work with in Dubai through that. That was the easiest... Like that was the easiest thing I ever did in my business. I I built a website last week because it's the right time for me to be able to build a new website and all of the struggle over the last couple of years has taught me how to do it myself. If we can trust in what feels right for us, not what we are told what to do. If, if it feels right to send your kids to school, send them to school. If it feels right to homeschool them, homeschool them. If it feels right to work on weekends and be home all week, then do it. The greatest advice I've got is to literally run your own race by what feels right to you. Love it. There's so much freedom. There's so much uh, security in knowing that if you just listen to your own guidance, and this doesn't mean we still don't get strategy, we don't get and tools from external but knowing that the guidance that comes through through ourselves of what action to take nothing's greater than that and that's the thing it should be the filter like yes i totally agree getting outside resources we wouldn't be doing what we were doing if we didn't think that people bent benefited from having someone walk by their side but it has to come through that filter of does that feel like the right person to me? Does that feel like the right action to take? And if you are getting resistance to that within your gut, that needs to be explored. Is it just a limiting belief or is it a signal that this is not right for you and that is okay to follow? Yeah, and that's a really great description, is it? Is that it doesn't mean that uh, every... Uh, thing that's showing up in your body is bad. It doesn't mean that everything that's showing up for you is good. It's just being able to have that space that you mentioned before to slow down and listen and in a really basic level, contemplate exactly what it might be and then trusting yourself because ultimately that's what it is, trusting yourself to then make the right decision from then. And I guess the thing that comes to mind then is it's a, any decision is going to get you there. But if you're just stuck in indecision, you'll just continue to play out the same loops. But but making a call 
if we and 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 it's I think really because we can get there in lots of different ways. Yeah. Ian. Yeah. The thing is, how peaceful do you want the journey to be? And the realization that, for me personally, easy is right. If my website was built in two days, it was that easy for me to pull that together. I spent days and days and weeks and weeks a couple of years ago trying to work that out. It wasn't right. I know that it it added to it being easier now, but timing is really important and being able to trust that just because you think it needs to happen now doesn't necessarily mean that it's game on right now. And the when you were talking before over the last couple of years of the journey and recognizing that a lot of people a lot of the stuff is mindset you know get your mind right and I don't necessarily apply mindset straight and I began to recognize that it's our soul it's our identity it's who we are that needs to convert and that is filtered through our heart through being um, that unconditional love for who we are and then it needs to be our head. And if you do the acronym, it's SHH, which is shh. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so if we, if we become mindful and we quieten it down, we can hear our soul speaking to us. We can feel the nudges of what it is we want to do or who we want to be. And then we bring that up through the heart of, of loving and compassion and forgiveness and all of that. And then get your head in the game and get your action plan going. Yeah. Uh, now I'll say this next bit, uh, being very clear that I'm generalising, but that's um, the the female operates very much from that place, like very naturally. Uh, men tend to come more from the thinking place and quite often the overthinking place. So whether you're male or female doesn't matter, but getting that blend right of what you described there. It's like our mind is important, but not where it's not, but making sure that we, yeah, we, we trust whatever comes through. If, if the thinking is the important part when we take that time to quiet and, and shush, then go with that. But if it's not, then, then trust our heart as well. And I think, uh, yeah, if, from anything from this chat is, is actually, is that is like it's the more you can trust what comes through even in those really dark moments, the the more the easier things are going to be for you to move forward and then be able to just stand on your own two feet, whatever that looks like. And I think in terms of that that soul and those nudges is is really like our identity as well, isn't it? Like who we are. And for me, it's really about supporting people to have a really, really solid foundation of that and then building everything else on top of that. Because in my experience, if we, so if you think about it as in a pyramid, like the five food groups or whatnot, and your values are there. So some people might start with their relationships and then it might be their career or they might start with their career and then their relationships and their money in the house and build it all up and then we sit on top. So excellent. I've, that's what's important to me and I'm at the top. I've, I've arrived. I've, this is success to me. But anything in underneath that, Ian, has the potential because it's external to us to move, change or disintegrate and then everything's destabilised and we fall to the bottom. If we start with the foundation of who we are 
this is who I am and everything that I build on top of that is an added on, not the sum of who I am, then then we are left with dealing with grief or or sadness or whatever. We're not dealing with an identity crisis because we still know who we are. Beautiful. And uh, who we are is made up of all of those different things from, from our past, right? The good, bad and everything in between, like you said before, the light and the dark and everything in between. Yeah. So good. Now, you don't just mentor people around being comfortable in their own skin, but you're a speaker as well. So right. have you got anything coming up soon that people you can direct people towards? Is there anything else that you want to share with where people can find you and what you're up to at the moment? So not necessarily for people to jump in on, but I am heading back to Victoria in October to speak with a few businesses, so to support the, the company and the culture and just obviously there's been a lot go on in the last couple of years in terms of yeah. people coming back into the workplace. So, and I'm obviously always open to anybody that might have a business or a company that wants an inspirational speaker to come in and really be able to hold that space and encourage their, encourage their staff on what it is to be comfortable in your own skin because the more comfortable I am with me, the easier it is for me to let you be you. And that just creates much more cohesive workplace relations when there's stressful times and a great deal of change. So, yeah. Well said. Cool. So if you've got a business and you're looking for a speaker, Andrea, we'll have the links in the show notes there. Uh, but if you're just looking for more of that, yeah, being comfortable with who you are and, and comfortable in your own skin, then, yeah, make sure you check Andrea out and uh, read all about her magic. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me and chatting so openly. Uh, I really appreciate the time and, and uh, the wisdom that you shared. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.